0: chapter eleven of the lady of the basement flat by mrs george de horn vesey this librivox recording is in the public domain the garden fete the garden fete came off yesterday and on the surface was a roaring success the weather was ideal the vicarage garden proved all that was necessary in the way of a background and the arrangements were so extraordinarily complete that my practical mind was constantly confronted with the question won't this cost far more than it gains in a big city a charity entertainment may throw out expensive baits with a fair chance of catching a shoal of fat and unwary fish but in a small village the catch can be calculated to a sou the big fish of the neighbourhood will heave a sigh of duteous resignation put a five-pound note in the purse and start for the fray prepared to spend it all but not one penny more the smaller fry carry out the same policy with ten or fifteen shillings the minnows take half a crown with which they pay for tea and purchase soap at the provision stall reporting to their husbands at night that after all the money was not wasted the vicar might just as well have it as the grocer all the attractions in the world cannot worm shillings out of a public which is so prudent and canny that it has self-guarded itself by leaving its cash at home many times over yesterday afternoon i saw the flicker of longing in feminine eyes as they gazed upon the tempting novelties displayed upon the stalls but the next moment the lips would screw the feet passed by gild garments must be bought tea paid for tickets bought for the novel treasure hunt wherein with luck one might actually gain by the outlay the visitors lingered to gaze at the pretty china and glass and embroideries with which delphine had filled her stall but the afternoon wore on and it looked as full as ever horribly full there were none of those bare blank spaces which stallholders love to see at five o'clock we marked off the odd sixpences. At six o'clock we dropped a whole shilling, but still hardly a sale. Delphine looked a vision. At the first glimpse of her in her cobweb fineries, I was ill-bred enough to gape, whereat she blushed and said hurriedly, Your dressmaker, yes. Isn't it a duck? And knowing the prices which Celeste charges for ducks with such feathers i wondered and feared did the vicar know was it possible that with his small stipend he could afford such extravagances had the silly little thing ordered and never asked was it my fault for having given the address could i have helped doing so when i was asked i had said she was expensive it was some small comfort to remember that and Charmian would say it was no concern of mine a dozen such disconcerting thoughts raced through my mind, but I shook them off and said heartily, It is lovely. You are lovely. I had no idea you were such a beauty. What does your husband say? Her face clouded. Nothing doesn't notice likes me as much in an old print, but I love it. Oh, you don't know what bliss it is to feel finished off everything new, good, pretty, and to match she gave a rapid swirling movement of the hand to call my attention to such details as shoes and stockings embroidered bag and glorified garden hat it's nothing to you you have had them all your life but i have only longed and starved she spoke with a passionate emphasis which to many people would seem all out of keeping with the subject but i'm young and a girl so i understood there are many empty-headed women in whom the craving for pretty things is as strong as the masculine craving for drink and cards circumstances have compelled these women to wear the plainest most useful of clothes while every shop window shows a tantalising display of colour and beauty and other women not half so pretty as themselves bloom with a borrowed radiance no mere man can understand the inborn feminine joy in the feel of fine smooth fabric nor the blending of delicate colours the dainty ruffling of lace to the rich these things come as a matter of course and the working classes are satisfied with garish imitations it is the poor gentlewoman with the cultivated taste the cultivated longing for beauty to whom temptation comes in its keenest form it had come to delphine and she had succumbed i devoutly hoped and prayed that the shock of the coming bill would prevent further extravagances charmian and i took charge of the treasure hunt we had given the treasures which were laboriously chosen with a view to suitability umbrellas lashed flat to the trunks of trees bags photograph frames writing-cases boxes of handkerchiefs chocolate cigarettes scent, and-this was a cunning idea cash orders on a big london store there was a great rush for tickets and the vicar very flurried and out of his element poor man dragged in the squire to help us the squire had arrived with his mother an hour before and had sat under a cedar drinking tea with a selection of old ladies and gentlemen looking as though he liked it quite well whenever he met my eye he glowered as if to say how dare you look at me and i smiled back as that seemed to annoy him most now as the vicar brought him up i could hear his muttered protests rather not can't you isn't there something else pleasing thing i must say to have a man forced to help you against his will well it was no use making a fuss before a score of curious eyes so for the next half-hour we stood side by side selling tickets explaining the rules of the hunt marshalling the seekers in readiness for the signal to start he is capable enough i will say that for him and has a patent knack of silencing garrulous questioners it was the funniest thing in the world to stand at the end of the lawn and watch these rustic backs young old and fat middle-aged, all poised on one leg, swaying to and fro, straining to be off. Excruciatingly funny to watch the stampede after the loud one, two, three, and away. The plunges, the waddles, the skelter of flying heels. One might have thought the gold of Klondike was hidden in the kitchen garden. I laughed and laughed in a good old Irish paroxysm of merriment until the tears rolled down my cheeks mr maplestone stared turned on his heel and stalked away i strolled back to the upper lawn and the first person i saw was old general underwood sitting in his bath-chair which had been drawn under the shade of a tree so that he might see everything and yet be well out of the way he was too much out of the way poor old dear to judge by his looks and agreeably pleased to see my approach well young lady and how are you today? you look very fresh and charming oh that's very nice of you general i do like to be admired isn't this rather a dull corner for you wouldn't you like to be moved he looked around with his old blue eyes everyone seems to have gone there was quite a crowd here a few minutes ago i sent my man to the village to post some letters well, we can manage without him there's a treasure hunt going on at the other end of the garden that's why this part is so empty mrs merivale has hidden a lot of parcels among the trees and shrubs and every one who pays a shilling can go and search for a treasure ha his face lit up with the hunting instincts, which seems dormant in us all treasures i see a good idea worth more i presume than the entrance shilling oh much much more the pride of the donor sounded in my voice then i looked at the poor old tired wistful face and had a brilliant idea general shall we go hunting you and i i'll push and you'll steer and we'll both look and if it's a man's present it's yours and if it's a woman's it's mine and if it's neutral we'll toss they've only just started so we're in time he gripped the handle involuntarily then loosened it to say my dear i'm too heavy wait until my man nonsense i'm as strong as a horse who waits is lost to the right please general straight down this path and into the herbaceous garden quite slowly and keep a sharp eye between the branches he quite chuckled with delight viewed from the vantage-ground of a bath-chair a treasure hunt was delirious excitement but he was heavy i remembered a sharp upward curve some way further on and had a vision of myself pushing with arms extended a full length and feet at a considerable distance between the arms as i have seen small nursemaids push pram loads of fat twins how undignified it would be if i slipped halfway and the chair backed over my prone body then of course the thing happened which i might have been sure and certain would happen under the circumstances we came face to face with mr maplestone and the general called out hey ralph there you are just the man we want miss wastneys and i are hunting come give a hand oh if you have the squire you won't need me i'll go off on my own i cried quickly but it was no use the old man wanted both and both he would have the squire was to push behind i was to take the handle and pull in front he himself must be free to hunt since he was handicapped by old eyes he issued orders with the assurance of a commander-in-chief and we listened and obeyed i started by feeling annoyed and impatient but honestly after the first few minutes it was great fun the squire was an abominable pusher first he pushed too little and left all the work to me and then being upbraided he pushed too hard and tilted me into a run then we changed places and he took the wrong turnings and wheeled past plain grass beds where nothing could possibly be hidden then we both took the back and the general peered from side to side and saw nothing and grew discouraged and sighed and said his luck had gone no treasures for him any more i will say for ralph maplestone that he is sweet to that old man he treats him just in the right way as deferentially as though he were in full health and strength a martial figure riding gloriously to conquest we cheered him up between us i did it rather nicely too and became quite friendly in the process two people can't join in pushing a bath-chair and remain de haut en bas The thing is impossible i was most nice to ralph maplestone and he appeared to be nice to me suddenly in the middle of a bush i saw a glint of brighter green the tissue-paper wrapping of a treasure and instantly my fingers gripped the chair mr maplestone would have pushed on but i frowned and grimaced and he looked and saw too and we both puffed and panted and demanded a rest during which i stood elaborately at one side of the bush and he stood at the other so that the old deer could hardly miss seeing the paper even then i had to give it a surreptitious push before discovery came but he had no suspicions not one and was as pleased as a boy at the thought that his old eyes had been sharper than our young ones we all took a turn at opening the parcel and it turned out to be a vanity bag filled with a mirror and other frivolities, so of course it was presented to me and I arranged my hair in the mirror and powdered my nose with the puff just to shock them, which by the way it fully succeeded in doing. Girls didn't do that in my day croaked the general. All girls don't do it now, grunted the squire. My dear, you look far nicer without it this was the general's second venture i turned to the squire and asked solemnly do i and he gave one quick look and then stared past me through me blankly into space i am no judge he said curtly well let me be honest it was flirtatious of me i knew it was and hurried to rub off the powder and get back to my briskest most business-like manner as we had paid three entrance fees we were entitled to a treasure apiece if we could find them and i insisted upon keeping up the search to the very last moment it amused the general it amused me i honestly believe that it amused mr maplestone as far as he was capable of being amused he was quite human once or twice as we rushed after a scent, he was even lively i began to think he might really be quite nice we found one other parcel a box of cigarettes and then made our way back to the lawn where the general's valet was waiting and took over the chair delphine came up to me and slipped her hand through my arm evelyn you have managed beautifully but you must be dead tired and longing for tea i'm going to stand over you and make you rest stupid of jacky to send the squire to help you you'd have been happier with any one else but he's so dense so in the clouds that he doesn't notice these things evelyn isn't it strange how he dislikes you who your husband nonsense no you know quite well mr maplestone at first of course one can understand he was prejudiced but now and when you've been so nice thank you for that i'm glad you appreciate me why are you so sure the squire does not because she said imperturbably he tells me so curiosity is a terrible thing it's bad enough when it concerns itself about other people but when it comes to one's self it's ten times worse i ached to ask when and where and how and exactly in what words mr maplestone's dislike had been expressed but pride closed my lips and i would not let myself go of course i had known before but i had imagined that after the chair episode what stings is not the dislike itself but the putting it into words to such a confidant as delphine no let me be honest the dislike itself does sting i have my own petty feminine craving and it is to be liked to have people appreciate and approve of me if they do nothing more even indifference is difficult to bear but dislike well thank goodness i've lived in a warm-hearted country among warm-hearted people who have loved me for my name if nothing else really and truly i believe this ugly red-headed man is the first person who has ever dared to speak openly of dislike for evelyn wastneys i pity and despise him i wouldn't have his approval if i could henceforth i shall never think of him nor mention his name to me he is dead all is over between us before anything ever began it is finished this is the end the fete ended at nine o'clock and charmion and i with the other stallholders went into the vicarage to enjoy a supper of scraps as a rule i adore scrap suppers after everyone has gone and the servants have gone to bed and the guests make sorties into the pantry and bring out plates of patties and fruit and derelict meringues and wobbling halves of jellies and creams they taste so good eaten in picnic fashion before the fire with a shortage of forks and spoons and a plate as a lucky chance but somehow last night things didn't go i think perhaps there were too many scraps which should by right have been sold and paid for in good hard cash the vicar was full of hospitable zeal and evidently enjoyed pressing the good things upon his guests but there was something in delphine's pale glance which checked merriment she had had her fun the interest of planning the excitement of playing hostess to the countryside the satisfaction of knowing herself to be the best dressed most admired woman present and of queening it over women who had hitherto patronised herself poor little butterfly she had enjoyed her hour but now the sun had gone down and she was counting the cost the treasurer added up the coins handed in from the various stalls and announced the total there was a little pause ah said the vicar slowly more than last year, but not so much as we hoped. How will it work out, dear? After paying expenses? Oh, Jackie, I'm tired. Can't we have supper in peace before worrying about money? She cried pettishly. Not another word was said. When we were driving home, Charmian gave me a shock. I rather like Mrs. Maplestone, she said dreamily. She is stiff and conventional and it has never even occurred to her that any one can disagree with her views and still have a glimmering of right but at least she is sincere if one could burrow deep enough beneath the surface she'd be worth knowing i don't like people who have to be burrowed life is too short and i'm perfectly certain that i should shock her into fits personally i don't intend to take the trouble of excavating that's unfortunate for she wishes to know you she's invited us to dinner next wednesday to meet some friends charmian you didn't accept certainly i did wasn't it your express desire to be sociable and to know your neighbours oh not them not there. it's pleasant knowing a few people but one is at liberty to choose i think you might have consulted me in the soft dusk, she laughed and stretched out a caressing hand. <laughs> tired, dear, and cross. I thought you'd be pleased. Why and wherefore? Tell me the truth. Oh, don't be so tiresome, Charmion. Of course, I'm tired. I've been on my feet all day long. Cross? Why should I be cross? Only I don't choose to accept hospitality from that man. I tell you plainly i won't go she bowed her head deliberately once and again oh yes evelyn you will i gave you your choice and having made it you will play fair i should have preferred to remain peacefully at coventry but having taken the first step at your request i don't propose to allow you to force me into society alone what could i say what was it possible to say there's no way out of it. I shall just have to go. End of chapter 11